0: episode 81 of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods. On today's episode of the podcast, I talk to conference organizers for Computers and Writing Conference 2022, including Aaron Frost.
1: So when we initially chose this theme, I think that a big part of the reason we settled on this theme, we owe to one of our, our alumna, um, Cecilia Shelton, Dr. Cecilia Shelton, mm. um, who Let's see, she defended her dissertation in, I think, July of 2019. And so her thinking on digital activism and what they meant, I I think, was pretty formative for all of us.
0: Michelle
2: Ebley. Activism, right, and whether or not is being online a type of activism, is a performance, right? All these questions, right, they just seem to really come. There's lots of intersections of um, various works. And then that was before the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that the pandemic everybody's talked about has sort of really shined a light on, right, and equity, accessibility, all of these intersectional moments in the digital world.
0: And Will Banks.
2: Particularly for our our teachers who are graduate students and are non-tenure
3: track faculty, who I I feel, because I have the evidence yet to support this, but I certainly feel have been disproportionately affected by pivots to online and by what support may or may not exist for them. At institutions where they're working, it seems like that's a a part of our work that we really be paying attention to. So I hope when people saw the the call for proposals or interventions and things, what we called it, that they they saw teaching as an important thing to be talking about as part of activist work. My guess is they did, but I'm looking forward to seeing what what people talk about in terms of teaching and engaging with students and communities.
0: You'll hear more from Aaron, Michelle, and Will in a bit. But first, I want to amplify a new opportunity from the Big Rhetorical Podcast. Last week, we launched the Big Rhetorical Podcast Fellowship Program. The Big Rhetorical Podcast seeks a graduate student to serve as the Big Rhetorical Podcast Fellow for the 2021-2022 academic year. The Fellow will assist in various aspects of running a podcast. Specifically, the fellow will help with two social media initiatives with the goal of growing TBR podcast reach and listenership. The fellow will also help with production, including booking and interviewing for their own episode during season six. This is a paid opportunity. Payment is $100. Applications should come from graduate students with research interests in rhetoric, digital publishing, technical communication, and or social media. We estimate that this will be three to four hours of work. Payment is through our nonprofit organization. This fellowship will give the fellow experience working with a leading academic podcast, connecting with scholars in rhetoric, writing studies, and adjacent areas and gaining valuable experience working and producing in the field. To apply, please send a CV and an email of interest to thebigrhetorical at gmail.com with the subject line TBR Podcast Fellow Application. Applications are due on November 15, 2021. Please direct all questions and inquiries to the Big Rhetorical Podcast. Additional information, for additional information on The Big Rhetorical Podcast, visit www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. In 2020, amid the coronavirus pandemic, the conference organizers for Computers and Writing Conference made the decision to cancel the 2020 conference that was to be held at East Carolina University then, as the pandemic continued to take lives across the world, and many of us in higher education acknowledged and adapted to the uncertainty of our profession, Aaron, Michelle, and Will made the decision to cancel the conference again in 2021. It was a devastating blow for many of us who love this conference, but as they acknowledged later, It was a decision with stakes which paled in comparison to those forced upon so many of us because of coronavirus. And it was the right call. Yet their persistence has paid off and computers and writing conferences back in 2022 at East Carolina University. I think that perhaps our field does not talk enough about the labor that goes into planning conferences Certainly, we have not talked at length about the decisions to cancel conferences and to consider all of the implications of those decisions, especially during the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, I was glad to amplify those topics, along with promoting computers and writing conference. Buckle up, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Drs. Aaron Frost, Michelle Ebley, and Will Banks, the conference organizers of Computers and Writing Conference 2022.
1: I'm an associate professor of English. I'm in technical communication more specifically. I am also the coordinator for the PhD program here at East Carolina University. So my role here is uh, primarily at the graduate level right now. Um, And that's great because it's work that I really love. I'm Michelle Ebley,
2: and I am a professor of English here in rhetoric and technical communication, um, newly promoted to that role. Um. So, still, still getting used to saying it. And I um am currently uh serving as an area coordinator, which means I represent technical and professional communication within the sort of infrastructure of our department. And I also work with the PhD GTAs on uh, um, who are teaching um the advanced or not the advanced, but the um upper level technical writing classes in the department and work with them. And I also serve as chair of the um, ECU's Behavioral and Social Sciences Institutional Review Board. And that is all at East Carolina where I am in my 20th year here.
3: I'm Will Banks and I am a professor of English at ECU in rhetoric and composition. And I direct the university writing program, which is our writing cross-curriculum initiative on campus. And I am in year 18, I think. 19. 19. And you're 19. Michelle knows. I don't know. (laughs) I've been here long enough to know where some of the bodies are buried.
0: It's been a long time. Yes. A long long time ago you all decided that you wanted to bring the computers and writing conference to East Carolina. When did you first begin the process to bring computers and writing to East Carolina University? And why was it important for you all to host this conference?
1: It was a long long time ago um Y'all can correct me if I misremember, but I think it was probably early in 2019 when we first submitted our application. That seems about right. We talked about it a good bit before that. Um, And I I can speak, I think, um, to the reason we wanted to have it here. And and that's because we all, uh, all three of us and and a number of other uh, of our colleagues identify as members of the computers and writing community. And we were aware that there hadn't been anybody to step up as a host. And we wanted to kind of reinvigorate the conference if we, if we could. Uh, We had a brand new student center. Um, It would have been very, very shiny if we had been able to host in the spring of 2020. Now it will be moderately shiny. Um, But we thought that we, we thought that we could, you know, maybe step into that role and help bring some energy to the conference and and really set it up for um, some new, new ideas and uh, new directions.
2: Yeah, I'll just add, um, that is definitely my remembrance of it. I think Aaron had just gotten tenure also. So that was a, um, and, and I had, um, stepped down as grad director, um, you know, moved on from being grad director role and I was moving on from ATTW president. So I felt like there was a, uh, you know, there was some service, uh, residual that I could dedicate to this. Um, and I think uh, one of the other reasons um, we wanted to bring it was for our grad students to really have an opportunity. Our um, PhD program was, it was at a point of we had, um, revi- we had revised it, and we um, were getting some great sort of, uh, you know, attention for some of the work that we had been doing. And um, we really wanted to put our students in contact with, um, this community since so much of some of you know their work at least um was uh, adjacent to it if not right in it and we felt like it would be a really great experience um i know will um worked with computers and writing when he was a grad student and i believe aaron did as well so it was sort of a give back um move, moment and then also for our own grad for the graduate students here at dcu
1: Uh, I think another reason that it was important for us to host the conference is because we do have a number of thriving graduate programs here, and Computers in Writing is such a welcoming, um, great conference for graduate students. And so, you know, we thought that that had a lot of mutual benefit involved there.
0: At some point during the planning of Computers in Writing 2020, you all had to make the decision to cancel the in-person event and move it to 2021. How did you go about making that decision to cancel the conference for the first time?
3: I, I don't think that decision was hard. It was pretty obvious where we were in the pandemic. It was obvious that people were not going to be allowed to travel um, and that they couldn't travel. Um, and I, I think and we'll probably talk about this later with some of the other questions you sent us. Yeah. With a conference that is individually self-supported, you have to be real careful how much money you sink into it mm-hmm. if you're not going to have it, because there's nothing to back you up. And so asking um, guest speakers to commit their time and energy to something and then not have it, it felt to us like it was the right call for a host of reasons. Um, but obviously, the pandemic itself was the the driving factor. Um more difficult was figuring out did we want to try and do it in 2021 or do we need to wait to 2022 and i think one of the really exhausting um frustrating difficult parts of that is in the midst of all this pandemic i don't even know what the word is i hate to use disparaging mental health words like calling something crazy but despite all of the the what was going on um it it seemed like every day that something different was happening, right? And so this month, maybe we're gonna get vaccine rollouts. Well, we can't mandate that people take them. Well, you can't do this, you can't do that. And all of that made it again, really difficult. And I think obviously 2021 was like, well, there's no, there's no hope for that, right? So then the question comes, do you try in 2022? Um, and I, I think that has been an exciting project to imagine. Um, even though all of the planning and getting started with it was still wrapped up in the same uncertainty and the same um, fear that we were asking people to, to do something that before they were ready, um, it, it was hard to find guidance um, from, you know, there's not really a, a a magic eight ball on this right so how do you know what's going to be available and what's not whether travel is going to be allowed or not so i think um, for me at least jumping back into this for the third time uh, was also about personal uh mental health concerns like how many times can i reinvest and restart this particular wheel that i really care about the topic for our conference and the work of it is i think really important But at the same time, how many times can you exert all that energy and all that time for it to come to nothing? I'm afraid I'm the kind of person as a human being who likes to get closure on things. And so I need something to happen if I'm going to invest time. Um, And so I think that has been a lot. And of course, if you're not hosting a conference or you're not part of an executive board that's overseeing one of the many, many conferences that are trying to happen virtually or in person around our country or the world right now, then you might be missing that particular element of what it's of, of that experience. Um, I hope that we are not communicating that to others necessarily. I don't want people to think computers and writing is a disappointing or or right. down sort of event. Um, right. But it certainly has been in the back of our minds and part of our planning is thinking like, you know. That uncertainty makes it very, very hard to make any real meaningful decisions uh, and it slows everything up and it slows up how much time it takes people to respond to you and you want to engage them and ask their help at different points because we're all overwhelmed with teaching and, and other family commitments and all sorts of things. So it's, um, I'll stop there, but for me, but that that's a lot of what has gone into the behind the scenes of it.
2: Yeah. I'll just add, um, one thing. Um, so Aaron, Erin was on maternity leave. So we were kind of keeping her up to date on things. Uh, and, um, I remember that. And, uh, I remember, uh, that we had just, you know, canceled, uh, ATTW. Cause I, of course I'm still involved with ATTW and I thought, Oh, but, but, but what will we able at first, I thought we'll be able to do computers in writing now, right? Maybe not ATTW, but we'll be able to do computers in writing. That lasted about two weeks, you know, um, before we knew. And then like Will sort of talked about, we hadn't yet, we were just about to book tickets for one of the keynotes. We were just about to start, um, we had just put registration. Like I think we maybe had two people registered, right? So we were at this pivotal moment where we had to make a decision and with the information we had at that moment and based on sort of financial things and from guidance from, we'll talk more about this later, I think, but with guidance from, uh, we work with a um, department here at ECU that's helping us with the conference, uh, the continuing education. And then I did talk with them. Um, and and asked to see what they were recommending to all of their sort of groups at the time, and so from there we we made the decision. Um, and I'll also say you didn't really ask this, but I think it's as important to know because I think a lot of other people wondered this when we proposed doing this way back. We were adamant about wanting to do a face. I'll should speak for me. I was really adamant about wanting to do a face-to-face conference. So when we knew we had to sort of postpone this one, we and especially at that moment, there was no there was no way we were going to try to do a virtual conference in 2020. Um, And then we did talk about it for 2021. And at the time, you know, we, it was still, exa- everything was still so exhausting. Um, And, you know, so I do think it's given us a, a little bit more experience with online conferences and some perspectives. And that's, we can talk more about this, but that's how we've sort of arranged this new conference sort of is going to have, a face-to-face component and we'll have a virtual component. And those kind of conversations making have been really um, hard to have to like contingency plans. And I don't think, I think I'm getting there, but I don't think I'm as invested yet. (laughs) And I think once I see the, I mean, I am invested, but speaking to sort of Will's mental, you know, I mean, I was really, really, we were so excited, right? It's like, oh, we want to show off ECU to everybody, right? I mean, and then it was like crushing, right? Which is fine. You know, We there was lots of crushing. Like in the great scheme of things, this was not one of them, right? At that moment, it felt like it. But in the great scheme of things, it's no big deal. So I think we're just now getting, you know, proposals are coming in and we're hearing from people who are planning, who have proposed and are planning to come. And so I think there is some excitement really, Generating around it now, and that and that feels good.
1: I just want to speak a little bit more to that question of, uh, you know, why not online? Because. I never got this question actually from anybody in the CNW community, but I definitely, you know, when talking to like my family members about this decision, they were like, isn't the the conference called computers in writing? Why don't you just pivot to online like everything else did? And my answer to them was uh, because we know too much. (laughs) We know how much work it is to do a good job of taking something that had been planned to be face-to-face into a virtual format. And so um, we elected to, uh, not try and rush it and, and do it in a sort of, um, you know, less than good way. We wanted, to, if, it, if that's something we were gonna do, we wanted to at least have plenty of time to plan it and make sure that we did it well, precisely because it takes so much work and we knew that the computers and writing community um, is a community that understands and appreciates that kind of thing. So we really hope that what we have planned, um, whatever happens in the, in the coming months, um, we really hope that this sort of hybrid format that we have planned uh, works out nicely. It's definitely sort of an experiment. And if we do have to pivot to online, we've now had some years to think about it. So I think I think that we can do that well at this point, um, with lots of help and support, of course.
0: You've all touched on it, but I, I do want to ask: What kind of labor—physical labor, emotional labor—went into the decision to cancel twice? <laughs> what are some things that people, either CNW conference goers or just regular listeners of the podcast? may not know, but should know about the decision to cancel a conference?
2: So I think there, I think one of the number one is financial, right? Um, Clearly, none of us individually wanted to be on the hook (laughs) for anything. Um, I mean, we couldn't, you know, we didn't want, you know, our department couldn't necessarily be on the hook for things, right? So there are those sorts of things. And I think if, if people don't know this, then this is really important to know, is computers and writing doesn't have um, an organization, like an organized organization, like a 501c3 mm. or, a, you know, or NCTE or, you know, any of these other that oversees it. I mean, there is the um, the seven C's that's part of um, NCTE and the, and the four C's. But there's not a governing board, right? There's not a treasurer, right? There's no money, right? So the money is what we are able to um, see what the ECU wants to support, right? We do get some help from ECU. And then the rest of the conference um, funding money comes from conference registrations. And so without having the conference, there's no way to, right? There's no way to sort of do these things. So I think that is really important for people to know that. And I think computers and writing historically has prided themselves on this. I don't know what people call it. This, oh, we can do, you know, we're a group that can have a conference. and But I don't know. I don't know what the, you know, for Phil's me. a
0: cavalier. It's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And at the same time, it's it's risky, right? Because if a group doesn't come up and decide, hey, we want to host the conference, right? Then it, it it you know it's not it may not be sustainable, right? I don't know. I mean, I know we, it's it will be sustainable for the next couple of years, but it's one of those things um, that I think during a pandemic when people are tired and not just tired, like sleep tired, right? Like emotionally tired, mentally tired, physically tired. And it's, I feel like we're at the moment in the pandemic where people have, like, you, some people thrive on chaos. I'm one of those people. Like, I'm like, okay, it's cool. We got a pandemic. You know, we just need to do these things. We need to, you know, we need to work out. We should go outside every day and not sit down all day, right? And we'll get through this, right? Well, all these months later, (laughs) you know, you're like, wait, I can't keep doing this, right? It's something... This is, you can't do this for, so I think just those combinations of things, um, that was sort of more about me, but it, those combinations of things, I think really influence, like, we just got to cancel, like, no, (laughs) like, like, um, and I don't know, one of y'all can talk about, uh, we did have, uh, um, some furloughs and stuff here at ECU that also affected, um, but I'll let Will or Aaron talk about that.
1: I was actually going to, I want to highlight some of the intellectual labor that went into building the conference that um, then, you know, doesn't really show up anywhere. So um, like first that all the people who had proposed, right, they have done the intellectual labor of putting together those proposals. And so that weighed heavily on us, of course, when we had to cancel. Um, And we put a lot of thought into then do we keep the same program? Do we ask people to update? Do we start totally fresh? You know, like how do we honor those intellectual contributions, but also put together a conference that's not two years old by the time it happens. Um, so we did, uh, you know, as you know, we have asked people to, we completely started over with the program, um, but we are trying to pay attention to who was previously accepted and who might have a project that updates well, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's a lot of intellectual labor for the program committee. Um, and the first time through in, in, in what would have been the 2020 conference, um, the program committee had already done their work. So that's a lot of our, our graduate students here at ECU. You know, they had sat in a room for many hours and talked about which proposals should be on the program and in what order um, they had worked toward having a really inclusive conference. And they thought a lot about the experience of a conference goer and how they might fit different things together. And they had really just done wonderful work Um that I hope they will still put on their CVs, but that you know probably doesn't feel like it was actualized, and maybe doesn't you know sort of show up in the same way for them. So um, that that's a kind of labor that I think is um, both like a big deal and also perhaps kind of easily forgotten since that conference didn't actually happen.
3: And um, I'm, uh, I, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over here. Um, Now I don't know if you said this and I just missed it, um, but I'm thinking about you know um, computers and writing has such a generous community who review proposals historically, um, so there was all that labor as well. We had distributed all the pieces out and um, gotten feedback, a lot of very generous feedback in many cases for folks who could revise and and think about their work. So that kind of, it's distributed labor, but it's also again more labor um, out in the field. Um, and that, that was difficult. It, it's been a really difficult part as well, thinking about, um, do we ask them to do that labor again? Um, a, a natural thing folks asked, because um, we sent some feelers out as well before we redid this to folks who are in the field and said, this is what we're thinking. Does this does this seem just and equitable and, and like a good idea? Because it it for us seemed really odd to just, we, we had a program, as Aaron said, we had a whole program ready. It was ready to print, uh, you know, the sessions, they were in rooms. We had all of that together. Do we just run it? Um, and then we try and wrestle who can come, who can't come. We'd have to break up those panels because not everybody would be able to come. Or would they be hybrid or high flex panels where some are in the room and some are online? Um, and so there's a part of us, I think, that really hated asking people to resubmit. We also knew. That works. Two years old. Maybe they've moved on. Maybe the pandemic has pushed them to do something very different with their intellectual labor right now. And we wanted to honor a space for them to say, you know, I've really moved on from that project, and this is where my passion is. And um, you know, we we, we bat around the idea: do we just tell everyone who said before you will be accepted even if you change your project? How do we? And that's kind of how we've run. We don't see a real reason to reject smart people from the conference. So we didn't, I don't think we flat out said everyone's going to get in, but like, you know, we, we definitely have looked at who we accepted before and if they've resubmitted That certainly is part of how we're thinking about building the program this year is trying to make sure we can re-involve folks who, who wanted to participate last time were told they had a spot um, to, to be involved. Um, so I think that kind of conference building work is a lot of um, fretting on our, or maybe it's just me because I'm a Freddie person. I don't want to hurt feelings and 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 create more anxiety and frustration. Um, but that's a a big part of the the emotional labor of trying to be just and equitable and to honor the work of people that they do. Um, uh, and, and again, it has been two and a half years. by the time the conference happens, it will have been two and a half years since we, started that proposal session, so there'll be a lot of changes. I did want to mention, Michelle mentioned the labor issues here, and I think that's another big part of um, my own anxiety and frustration about should we do it again. As we started back up, you know, we knew that um, the office on campus that many of us had worked with over the years with smaller conferences and event planning um, in our, it was in our continuing studies division, and and they we're great at helping make conferences big and small happen on campus but because that's a revenue-based group they're not state funded they were all furloughed in fall of 2020 um is that right oh. yeah <laughs> time of lose me. in fall 2020 um through at least june of 2021 so the end of the, the next fiscal year so that entire academic year Um, These people lost their jobs and that was horrible to watch um, since we worked with them and since they're human beings. Mm. Um, But even worse was knowing when it came this past summer, they didn't put that organization back together. Those folks did not come back to the university. So they redistributed, which is a wonderful um, late capitalist framework. They redistributed this work um, and gave some people extra stipends to do some of it and um, so that's been difficult for us as well, is to find out where that support is, what kind of support exists, um, and that would then impact what we asked our chair and dean, You know, do we need course reassignments to be able to do this on our own or is there gonna be an office on campus to help? Um, and so we, we're very fortunate that um, Annette uh, Currico is now working and doing that support at the university. And she's been fantastic working with us so far to try and make this happen. And we had buy-in from the Um, I think it's associate vice chancellor, I hope I have the title right, that's in charge of that area who said, no, we want to support you, we'll make it happen, how do we do it? So despite upheaval and labor shortage and all sorts of things, we've been very fortunate to have that support come back to us um, in trying to build this new conference.
2: And just to add on to that, but we didn't know that until, what, late July, yeah, we had our first meeting with them mid to late August. Um, so.
3: Yeah, and so whereas last time we went to the 2019 conference with flyers and materials that had planned that spring and were ready to go, like this conference we weren't even sure we would have any support to do it until August. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to get submissions in September and October by November, like, so, you know, the, the, that's that uncertainty. Uh, And of course, nothing has changed about our teaching or administrative loads. So we're still trying to manage all that. And I'm so grateful. We have phenomenal grad students who are um, eager and excited to help us with that. So they've been great at pitching in and, and and helping and we're also incredibly fortunate to have phenomenal colleagues like uh you Charles joining us at ECU this year and able to offer some help and support as well. Um we haven't tapped you hard enough yet but it's coming don't it's you coming. worry we're going to work.
0: <laughs> Full sprint ahead I guess.
4: More after this. Would you like to join Charles in the big rhetorical podcast? The podcast is booking for next season now. The Big Rhetorical Podcast offers participants the opportunity to contribute to ongoing conversations within our disciplines and beyond. This record of conversations eventually will be a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge making in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication, as well as adjacent fields. Do you have a new book coming out? Are you hitting the job market this cycle? The Big Rhetorical Podcast wants to talk to you. The Big Rhetorical Podcast core ideals are similar to a community-based writing project with an emphasis on inclusivity and localizing knowledge and in strengthening relationships among peers. Make sure to check out our back catalog of episodes as well as listen to our new podcast each week wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have questions about the Big Rhetorical Podcast, please submit a form at the website, www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. You can also find the Big Rhetorical Podcast on Twitter at The Big Ret. Follow the podcast on Facebook or email us at The Big Rhetorical at gmail.com. Welcome back.
0: I think it's important to consider, and you all have certainly your your colleagues at ECU, folks who work on campus, graduate students that you mentor. I think it's important to consider that regular conference goers like myself weren't the only ones impacted, right? you've touched on a lot of these folks, but who have we not talked about that has been impacted by the cancellation of of computers and, and writing the last two years?
1: I mean, certainly the office of, of you know the the folks who were laid off from ECU come to my mind as the as the like some of the some of the people who were most impacted, not specifically by the cancellation of computers and writing, but by the larger mm-hmm. pandemic. And we know that's happening on a you know on a national scale as well. So I think they have to be the first people we think of when we answer that question. Um but also I think there are probably people impacted who don't even know it. There are, you know, there are local stakeholders. Um who would have benefited economically from a uh, you know a conference uh, you know a, not a huge conference but from a conference of the size coming into town particularly during an off week, which is when we had planned it when there are not students and the revenue may be down. Um, we also had done some work, um, and this has shifted over time, but we had done some work to create partnerships with local stakeholders who were engaged in digital activism, um, and we were engaged in making some. Uh, little teaser movies um, to sort of show what the digital showcase option when you when you submit um, a proposal what that option could look like and and those people uh you know that all sort of went by the wayside of course at the end of 2019 beginning of 2020 when this all started happening sorry beginning of 2020 what has the pandemic done to our our brains and our timeline um And we still hope to involve some of those folks, but as I said, you know, the way that we're designing the conference has sort of shifted over time. And so um, like there, that is not as big a part uh, this time for a a host of reasons. Um, We hope we can still get them some of the exposure that we were, that we were initially imagining, but um, that, you know, that may or may not happen. So certainly those folks were impacted.
2: And I know, I mean, I was really excited. I mean, anyone who knows me in the field knows that I am um, very focused on food at conferences, Um, and making sure that there are anybody who's been to HGW over the years knows that, you know, there's going to be a good spread, right? And so, I mean, some of the, and we had a new, we have a new student center. And because we were doing this in an off week, we knew that, right, all of those people who worked would be called in that week, likely to work at the student rec center and all of the various places um, and, you know, catering and, and things like that. And so I do think um, like Aaron said, um, that the people who were most hit, you know, it's not just our conference, right. But the people that were most affected by the pandemic are, are still those, those same people, um, in, you know, trying to get universities up and up and running again, you know, at full speed. And, um, yeah. So I think that that's, you know, um, some people that were affected as well.
0: The theme of the conference is is practicing digital activism. How did you all settle on this theme and why is it important when we think about the current state of the field and importantly in a post 2020 COVID world?
1: So when we initially chose this theme, um, I think, and probably we all remember this a little bit differently, right? Because we're, we're in the same intellectual circles, but we're also interacting with a variety of different people and reading different things and, um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on, which is very exciting. But I think that a big part of the reason we settle on this theme, um, we owe to one of our, our alumna, um, Cecilia Shelton, Dr. Cecilia Shelton, mm. um, who let's see, she defended her dissertation in, uh, I think July of 2019. Um, and so her thinking on digital activism and what they meant, I, I think was pretty formative for all of us, um. Her dissertation included a study of the Black Lives Matter movement. Of course, that has been, you know, very important over <laughs> uh, the last several years and, and for far too long a, a period of time. Um, so I think uh, I think that's sort of how we initially settled on the theme. And then when we reimagined the conference and then re-reimagined the conference, we we sort of felt like we needed to double down. We, we continue to believe that that theme is really important specifically in regard to um, diversity and, and, and even more specifically racial diversity. So that was just something that we wanted to make sure that, um, we were committed to and that we were, um, sort of offering sustained rhetorical space to, um, so, you know, if folks compared the call that originally went out to the call that went out a few months ago, they'll see, we didn't change a whole lot. We updated it, um, but we we remain pretty committed to the the same sorts of ideas and tenets and conversations that we um were finding important when we were engaging Dr. Shelton's work uh, in two thousand and nineteen
3: and I think of course, um Dr. Shelton's work was happening in a in a cultural moment where it felt impossible not to do that work. Um I think we're also grateful. I wasn't on her um committee. Um, for her project, but being around and and having worked with her as a student and and worked with her in the writing center, um, and others of our, our doctoral students, like um, Dr. Jim Tejas McCoy, um, more recently, Dr. Hatcher, uh, there's lots of really awesome folks we've gotten the chance to work with. And by naming them now, I'm feeling I feel bad because I'm going to miss naming people. Um, but I, I was just thinking, again, we're at the 10 year anniversary of um, that horrific year where there were around 20 um lgbtq youth who committed um self-harm or um acted out on their suicidal ideation um all in a very very short span of time most of it linked um to digital work something like tyler clementi's online harassment um in college and and then, seconds. It felt like after it, we had another year where a lot of this was happening to um, trans women in particular, trans women of color, um, who were experiencing tremendous harassment online uh, and in person, and the ongoing right onslaught of lives being cut short, Ahmaud Aubrey and. Um, uh, Brianna Taylor and like so, just so many George Floyd, so many folks that, that all of this was happening around digital work, right? We knew what happened with George Floyd primarily because of the viral nature of video and the ability for that to come out. And it feels impossible to ignore what's happening around some of these activist movements like Black Lives Matter or um, Me Too, um and so it it just felt like it was an appropriate time for as a conference as a whole for all of us to be talking about this not for it to be one session uh or a couple of papers um but i i feel like all of computers and writing needs to be wrestling with this question of what is our work and why are we doing it why what is the digital work we're doing and what purposes does it serve? If it's not activism in a traditional sense, what is it? Like, how are we part of this conversation? How are we, how are we affecting change? And it felt like just in 2019 and 2020 is equally appropriate now in, in 2022 with a global pandemic, which has impacted different people in very different ways. Um, it just feels like this is, um, a, an unfortunately perennial need that, um, as a field, we need to be wrestling with the work. Um, that we're doing with, with digital tools and technologies. And a large part of that, of course, is access. We're all, today, I'm looking at us because we're on a Zoom call and we're all in our homes and we're all enjoying broadband internet connection and a really strong connection, touch wood, it's often go down, but the thing I say that. Um, you know, Most of us have been able to work from home and have found a tremendous um, benefit in our own safety and security of us and our families at being able to work from home. and. Um, while so many others can't, right? And and we live in a state that has struggled to mandate masks and struggled to mandate vaccination um, to in public university systems. And so for us, we see that our own colleagues have been differentially harmed. Um, so like, I, I, it just feels like we have to be talking about how our access to technology and the technology we have allow some of us um, to seem to escape from um, some of these larger, uh, social ills and problems that we're dealing with and others are more on the, um, on the hook for them. Um, and because of their labor, we get to enjoy today sitting at home and chatting with you for your podcast. Um, I don't know that that's very rambly and ongoing, but it just feels like it, it, just felt like it was what we needed to be talking about as a a group. And I couldn't imagine a better group to be talking about this with than the people at CNW who I value very, very much as colleagues and friends over the years. Um, As Michelle mentioned, as a grad student, I was one of the assistant directors, program coordinators for this at only state back in 2002. And and ever since then, like this has just felt like a a powerful conference home for me, Um, the welcome I got as a queer scholar was huge. And so I, I hope that we're able to do that same kind of welcoming work around a really difficult and complex topic like practicing digital activism.
2: Yeah, I'll just add to that. I believe it was, I can't remember where CNW was in 2018. Um, I'm blanking. George Mason? Yes, yes. Um, I believe that and it might have been the year before, but I believe I was in a session with Erica Sparby, where they were talking about digital aggression. And she, of course, um, I think the next year at 2019 started a digital aggression, like working group. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember this because we had a student who was working on some things and I introduced them and, but anyway, and it's, it just struck me as we were, you know, prior to that, we were talking about, um, you know, the rise, you know, that back, we thought the internet was going to be this very neutral world, you know, where everybody could get along. Right. And now you have this, you know, outright, you know, digital aggression. Then you also had, um, at the time, there was a lot of talk. When we first started, there was a lot of talk of of hacker, uh, hacktivism, right? And whether or not, like, is 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 being online a type of activism? Is a performance? Right? All these questions, right? They just seem to really come to a to a to a nice. Um, what's the word? Like. There just was lots of intersections of um, various works. And then that was before, right, the pandemic. (laughs) Um, And so I think that the pandemic, uh, like everybody's talked about, is sort of um, really shined a light on, right, and equity, accessibility, all of these intersectional moments um, in in the digital world. And so I'm, and, and I mean, we were excited by the proposals we got you know, the first time around. So we know that there's some really, really great work um, going on. And so we're, we're excited for those people to, um, you know, um, uh, you know, propose that work again, you know, update it a little bit, if it needs to be, it may not need to be, not all of it needed, to, probably needed to be, but just in an effort to sort of also, maybe we also recognize that there were some people who might not be able to come last time who might want to come this time right so we wanted to, for it to be open but but we also want to honor the commitments we made to the um CNW 2020 conference too i know I sort of took a turn there but it felt it felt natural to sort of make sure folks knew that we were open to those um, proposals um, from 2020
0: so you've got proposals coming in now i guess a new batch and yep. so let's talk about them. What do you hope to see when y'all are looking at proposals for the conference? Now, I know you've got committees and reviewers that are doing this work, but but what do you hope that submissions attend to or do?
1: Um, one thing that I think we're really excited about is um, seeing some proposals that really think creatively about the ways that they might engage participants. Um, so, you know, there are, there are a couple of different ways to propose. Um, one of them that I'm excited about about, because I keep talking about it, um, is the digital activism showcase, which is a a chance for somebody to sort of show something that they are uh, actively doing, you know, something that they're doing um, in the world and engage um, computers and writing conference goers in that work, sort of show them what it's about and have some sort of active participation and uh, really the sky's the limit. The the session um, type is designed for people to be able to do a number of different things with it. Um, So I think we're hoping to see some creativity. We're, of of course, hoping to see people engage um, meaningfully and thoughtfully with the theme. Um, I think we're hoping for a lot of work on um, accessibility and equity and inclusion um, specifically. And um, we're really hoping to, we're hoping to curate a conference that um, includes folks who are, um, you know, folks who have been coming to computers and writing for a while like ourselves, but we're also really trying to invite um, folks in that may not have ever heard of computers and writing before, but would be good fits here so that we get some, you know, some interdisciplinary energy going on. Um, And that's, you know, that's less about what somebody might propose individually and more about what will happen when we start putting panels together and, and, you know, getting people in one place, either physically or virtually. But that's, I think that's a great hope we have for the conference.
2: So I've been looking at the proposals just to see because one of the things that we, as we're planning is to, you know, we want to be sure we were, we didn't want to have all virtual, right? People can um, propose um, uh, for virtual, um, so where they will submit a virtual presentation um, and we'll have those uh, for people and then they'll be able to sign on to any live um, to some featured sessions into some, the live keynotes and stuff. Um, and so I've been interested. I was like, well, so are people coming? Are they, are they wanting to come, you know? So for me, what I'm wanting to see when I look at the proposals (laughs) is that there's a nice sort of balance, right. Of people who, um, are doing in-person and then, um, virtual. And so right now we're a little bit ahead, um, in in in-person, um, proposals. Um, and so, um, So I think that's good. I mean, I think that's a good place to be, Um, and so, uh, so that's exciting. And then I, you know, I want I like I love computers and writing. Computers and writing because I also I always I feel like it's a great place to sort of learn new things and kind of um, new research topics or new innovations or new ways of looking at things. And also a sort of reflection on where we've been, like there always seems to kind of be both of those sort of things, um, at a computers and writing conference. And so I'm looking for those, right? So I'm looking for, I'm looking for names that I don't know at all, right? New people. And then I'm looking to see some regular, um, well, cause I, I get to see the names, you know. Um, I'm looking to see, you know, some, some names that are familiar, right, cause I think that that sort of blending and welcoming and inclusion is one of the hallmarks of um, computer, computers and writing. And so that, that's very exciting. I also know that there's lots of smart work um, going, up, going on out there. And so I hope that we can feature it at, um, at this conference. I really hope
3: that um, the part of our community who is very teaching focused doesn't see our topic as unwelcoming. Um, I hadn't thought much about that possibility uh, until uh, recently I was seeing some conversations online, not about our conference, but just about teaching in general from people I think of as key computers and writing people. And they're um, primarily focus right now on the complexities of teaching in a moment in this historical moment right so trying to be attentive to anti-racist practices trying to be attentive to inclusive um, and equity driven work in their classrooms which was complicated by um sudden pivots online but now ongoing in hybrid and high flex environments i really hope um, maybe this year more than ever we'll see a lot of really um interesting and engaging panels and discussions on the the intersections of digital activism and our teaching. Because um, it, it feels like, particularly for our, our teachers who are graduate students and are non-tenure track faculty, uh, who I, I'm, I feel, I because I, I have the evidence yet to support this, but I certainly feel have been disproportionately affected by pivots to online and by what support may or may not exist for them um, at institutions where they're working. Um, it seems like that's a a part of our work that we really be paying attention to. So, um, I hope when people saw the the, the call for proposals or interventions and things, what we called it, um, that they 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 saw teaching as an important thing to be talking about as part of activist work. Um, my guess is they did, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing what what people talk about uh, in terms of teaching and engaging with with students and communities.
0: You might still be in the planning stages. But I wonder, is there any information on the keynote speaker, the night out, et cetera, that you're ready to share with listeners?
3: Um, Where are
0: we going? What are we doing? Who are we seeing? Well, 100%. We...
3: I don't know if this is Erin's reputation, because she's professional and grown up and and things. My and Michelle's reputation is 100%. We like to party, although now that we're getting really old, maybe that's also disappearing. Um, but uh, we have a wonderful new arts district um, in Greenville. And at least to date, Knockwood, the pandemic has not destroyed it. That has been certainly one of our own anxieties, because it's all locally owned, Um restaurants and 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 pubs and and eateries and and things um including a time for science museum uh, which has just gotten a boost by connecting to the state um museum uh, group so it's it's local but it's now connected um and so we have nights out planned uh in that area which is not far from campus and is easy to get to has good parking um part of that will be instead of bowling, we are going to invite folks to come throw hatchets, um, which would be a great way to deal with some pressure, anxiety, or frustration at the end of the school year. Um, so we're working on that and making that happen. Um, but since it's situated there as well, we see it as sort of a hub where folks can be there right next door at the uh, the shop called Emporium, which is one of those places where you get the bracelet and you can get as many pours of beer and cider or wine or whatever as, as you want. Sit outside or inside. Um, There's a lot of outside seating throughout that area. The pizza place, um, uh, places that have been written up um, in various state and other magazines for having quality food and and beverages. Um, Luna Pizza was just recently showcased in our state magazine, for example, and it's attached to Pitt Street Brewery, which is a fantastic uh, local brewery um, with both inside and outside seating. So We see going out, uh, whether that's where we end up with the ride from CW um, or another night when we're out um, enjoying it. It's a place where people can walk. If you don't want to throw hatchets, you can watch some people throw hatchets from a safe distance, laugh at them, and then go off and have pizza or something else, Um, and you can move about that space. So we really wanted to make sure there was some decompressing space from the conference and also getting off campus as a group um, in a fairly easy way. Um, for participants, because I think we all need some breaks <laughs> after the last couple of years as teachers and researchers. Um, we also, I, I guess it's okay to say this, we also are hoping that for one of our evening events um, to have a drag show um, after, uh, after one of the, the main sessions, uh, evening sessions, folks who want to can uh, participate in the drag show as a fundraiser um, for our local Picasso group, which is a, a, an AIDS uh, support charity in our area that's been on, going on for decades and is a really important part of Eastern North Carolina's own activism and culture. Um, so I, I know at least with those couple of things in, our, in mind, assuming we can still make them happen like we originally planned, we have a lot of fun going along. Yes, yeah, fun activism. You know what I mean? Like fun activism. That's what you want. You want fun activism. Uh, But uh, so that we're excited about that. And we are um, still working on um, how we're going to do keynotes and things. Uh, We talked earlier about the difficulty of finances. We are all agreed as as conference coordinators that it would be inappropriate to ask someone to develop and build a big presentation as a keynote if we're not certain we can have a conference uh, and, and pay them an appropriate honorarium or stipend for that labor. Um, so we're we're we have some things lined up and some ideas for how we want to do that in, in equitable and uh just ways. Um and so we're still waiting to confirm that. So we're not quite ready to say for sure in this podcast. Although so probably like in three days we'll be ready. Uh <laughs> but um we have we have had some really awesome work lined up. Um and we're we're really hopeful that um we'll be able to to make that happen in 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 really good ways.
2: I was just going to add one thing yeah. um, for our listeners that um, don't play hatchet throwing against Will Banks because <laughs> he knows how to throw a hatchet <laughs> a ringer, such a ringer, such a ringer. So just FYI. So you don't lose to them. Um, don't let him make you think he doesn't know anything about throwing hatches
3: because it certainly he- let, I can certainly let everyone make the wager that if they beat me, they are allowed to donate hundreds of dollars to a local charity for the honor of beating me. Oh, there you go.
0: (laughs) Challenge extended listeners. (laughs) So here's a question that, that just stinks, but it has to be asked. What's the contingency plan for if the conference can't happen in person?
1: There is one. <laughs> um, so, so, so as you as you may have seen in the call for interventions, we do uh, have uh, the the existing plan is a sort of hybrid model. Um, so we do have an online portion of the conference that you know will already be in the works, um, which is nice to know that there will be something that doesn't have to make big changes. Right? That's that's going to go forward no matter what um, if. If things go awry and we end up feeling as though we cannot have an in-person conference at all, um, then I think we will pivot what we can of the uh, planned in-person conference to a virtual format. Uh, As Will said, we have talked about ways that we might... um, create some sustainable, flexible structures so that we can still compensate um, keynotes in the appropriate ways and still have them engage somehow with uh, our participants, even if they cannot, you know, nobody can physically come here. Um, But we're really, really hopeful that this time through that doesn't happen. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, if I carry an umbrella, it absolutely won't rain. So we have a plan this time. So we think we think it's going to go ahead.
0: So what are the important dates for people to keep in mind for the conference? When is the submission deadline for proposals? And what are the dates of the actual conference? And mention where folks can find you online.
2: The dates for the conference are May 19th through May 22nd. We'll have an opening reception um, on that Thursday evening, May 19th. Um, And then we'll end on Sunday, May 22nd uh, with, I think, a town forum. We're still working on those details. Um, Our website for the conference is cwcon2022.org. And again, that's cwcon2022.org. And that is where you are able to submit um, a proposal and the proposal deadline is November 1st. So we're coming up on it, but there's still plenty of time to propose uh, a panel, a presentation, a workshop, um, any number of
1: items. Um, I will add, if it's okay, a plug for the Graduate Research Network. That always happens on the I guess what we call the first day of the conference, um, you know, when there are workshops and when the opening reception will be. So that Thursday, um, the website for the GRN is gradresearchnetwork.org. I, I believe it will be updated soon. And I just want to mention for any graduate students listening who might not know, um, as welcoming and wonderful as computers, writing, computers and writing is sort of in the conference itself, the GRN is even more of that. It's a wonderful first oh, yeah. place. Um, to present your research so if you're at all nervous this is this is where you go this is the place to be um and i'll i'll say this although we've not talked about it i think it's absolutely fine to submit the same project to cnw and to the grn um if you're very very fast you can get feedback at the grn then turn around and incorporate into your presentation or or whatever you're doing the next day or the day after um But also it's, you know, we're happy to hear things in multiple iterations and and give feedback and you'll have different audiences. So um, really, I encourage you to take advantage of the GRN. It's a great thing to do.
0: It's definitely a a CNW conference pro tip from Aaron Frost, for sure. (laughs) Anything else you all want to add before uh, we let you off here for the rest of the day?
1: Keep an eye out on our social media channels for updates. As we finalize things, we'll be publicizing them. uh, we have a third year graduate student here nearing um, her doctoral candidacy, Morgan Banville, um, and she is uh, kind of our social media coordinator. So you'll see things um, coming out from her um, and just yeah, keep an eye out for exciting new announcements because we'll we'll let you know as we get things um, set in stone.
2: Yes, definitely. Follow us on uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page that is C and Con. And I believe it's the same on Twitter. So follow us there as well. (laughs) Thanks so
0: much, everyone, for joining me and talking about what has really been, you know, um, a tough at times two years or two plus years. And I certainly can't speak speak for everyone in the field, but I can speak for myself to say thank you. Thank you for this persistence and this work because uh, for the first time that I went, after I would say the first time I went to computers and writing, I was quick off with that George Mason comment because that was my first one. Um, that was like I fell my home, too. So thanks for, like, keeping the house in order, I guess, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the conference organizers of Computers and Writing Conference 2022, Doctors Aaron Frost, Michelle Ebley, and Will Banks i am thrilled they agreed to sit for this interview but even more thrilled that they kept working kept planning and that we will be having a computers and writing conference again i'm gonna have to start practicing my axe throwing too apparently the big rhetorical podcast season five has more emerging scholars lined up we have authors and activists We have established scholars in the field, all coming together in the podcast parlor to talk about their life and their work. Make sure you are tuning in. I'll be back next week with another new interview. Until then, always be listening rhetorically. The Big Rhetorical Podcast is produced by Exalt Digital Media. Exalt Digital Media, not for profit. This podcast was recorded on the sacred lands of the Tuscarora people, and we recognize and respect the people of the Kahari, Eastern Band of Cherokee, Haliwa Saponi, Maharan, Okanichi, Band of Saponi, Saponi, and Wacamal
4: Siwan. Music for the Big Rhetorical Podcast is brought to you by DJ Lang, Grapes, and Airtone.